0: And I just didn't want to live. I remember sitting on my my kitchen floor with a bottle of pills. And I, I'm so grateful I had a dog. I had a little pug. And he was sitting beside me that day. And I just wanted to end it all because I'm like, I'm constantly hurting people. I mean, You know, when you black out, you don't remember what you do. And then the next morning, you're just thinking, oh my God, who do I have to apologize to today? And what have I done? And I was getting really tired of living that life. And so I remember looking down at my dog, and they kind of do that little head tilt. And he looked up at me, and it was almost like he's like, what are you doing, mom? Like, what's going on here? Why are you sitting here crying? And something inside me at that very moment gave me the desire to change.
1: Welcome to the Tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a Tribe. You need a Tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a Tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober and I'm your host for this podcast. Now here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol. And over the past five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because it's really, really difficult to make this change alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community Each week we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. I have now been a sober, alcohol-free person for, I think it's now coming up to two and a half years. And I must say that I found the big difference that helped my commitment to an alcohol-free life stick is definitely community. Um, And I've remained in touch with Tribe Sober, From basically my first sort of day one and here I am and still in touch and still loving my life. So if you want to join our community and get a bit of support, just go to tribesober.com and click on join our tribe. So let's get to my guest. Today I'm interviewing Tamar Medford, who is a performance consultant, a life coach, a best-selling author, as well as a champion for people in recovery. Since overcoming her own 20-year battle with drugs, alcohol, and obesity in 2012, Tamar has dedicated her life to empowering others to embrace their authentic selves and live up to their true potential. I began our conversation by asking Tamar to tell us a bit about herself.
0: Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on your show. I'm super honored, and I really enjoyed our last conversation. Um, Yeah, I'm from Canada. I live just east of Vancouver, British Columbia. And I just enjoyed my coffee while you're getting ready ready to settle down for the night. So um, a little bit about me. I am not married. I was married before. And now I've just been with my current spouse who I met in recovery. And we've been together for, oh, gosh, probably about six and a half years. And he's got a son, but I don't have any kids. Uh, which really allows me the time for my side hustle. Um, I'm actually have a full time career in uh, sales and more inside now, obviously, due to COVID, I can't travel. But that is kind of where I picked up this passion for podcasting and and creating another, you know, healthy journey and and learning how to stay healthy on the road. So now I've kind of incorporated that into my home life, because of course, everybody was stuck inside for so long. I find that over the last six months, I've really had an opportunity to kind of dig into my niche and and really expand on my podcasting and my coaching.
2: Great. Okay. Well, I certainly enjoy uh, listening to your podcast. We'll give everybody the details of, of that at the end. Uh, so let's let's think about your story because I've read your book and I've heard some podcasts of yours. So I uh, I'm quite familiar with your story, but obviously we want to hear it again now. But what struck me is, uh, and certainly you you emphasise this point, that you you had a really happy childhood, a very good upbringing. And then somehow you just went completely off the rails big time, didn't you?
0: (laughs) I did. And I love to talk about the happy childhood part of my story because I think there is, as you know, a misconception that in order to be an alcoholic or an addict that you have to have some really traumatizing childhood. You know, you have to have suffered from abuse, um, maybe homeless, lost everything. And for myself, excuse me, that just wasn't the case. You know, I had, uh, my family and I immigrated from the Netherlands when I was a year old, we came to Canada, uh, to follow my dad's dream. And, you know, they spent every weekend with us and gave us lots of attention. I have a younger brother as well. And growing up, it was just a really happy, normal childhood, you know, that I, I see as normal. And, um, when my dad decided to follow his dream of becoming a filmmaker Uh, We moved out to British Columbia and because we had lived in another area of Canada previous to that. And so we started to move around quite a bit then. And I got, I was incredibly shy. Although, if you ask my friends, they'll tell you that, you know, I'm crazy saying that. But I am really shy in big groups. And I was back then because I was always having to make new friends every time we moved. And so Um, Each time I went to a new school, I was terrified, right? I didn't feel like I fit in and I just, because I had always tried to impress my dad. He was one of those kind of the tough love when it came to, okay, well you got a C, you should get a B or, you know, I was in soccer. Oh, you scored one goal. You should score two. Right? So I I was always striving for that perfection, which I believe that's where my perfectionism started. Um, But when I got into high school, um, I really felt lost because of course, you know, when you're in earlier grades, you're always in the same class for the full year. You make these friends. And of course, going into high school was a completely different animal. And so of course I wasn't around my normal friends at the time. And I was, I just, I really felt that need to fit in. And when I was 14, I remember, um, going out to a party and actually being able to drink a considerable amount of alcohol for the first time. And, you know, my parents, because we, um, I was born in Europe and it, it's not alcohol isn't frowned upon. Right. So we could have a couple sips of my parents' drinks or their wine coolers and stuff like that. So it wasn't something that was taboo or I couldn't do, but I remember first getting drunk and, I just thought my life went from black and white to color, you know, everything. I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, like I just, I felt alive. I felt confident and alcohol did something for me that nothing else has ever done for me before. And, you know, so even though I'd had this wonderful childhood, there was something, you know, some sort of gene and I know it, alcoholism does run in my family, that as soon as I took that drink and I got drunk for the first time, I wanted to chase that feeling. And that feeling didn't go away for a very, very long time.
2: Yeah, so I, I, I was a bit similar with my first drink. It just feels like a magic potion, doesn't it? And you think, yes, I found I found what I need. Exactly. <laughs> and you, you have a theory. Uh, I mean, just stray off your, your story for a moment, but I read or heard you say that you believe that us people that get into trouble with alcohol, when we have that first drink, we feel it more intensely than normal people that don't develop a dependence. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, when you, I mean, if you're thinking about alcohol all the time, right, you know, as soon as you have a drink, and you're really excited to have another one, you chase that feeling. Because, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who don't have addiction issues or alcoholism issues. And You know, they they say, well, after I have that first or second drink and I start to feel that buzz, I don't want to get out of control. But for myself, it was like, I feel like I'm in control now. So I wanted to feel more control until I just didn't feel anything anymore. And I'd wake up and go, what the heck happened?
1: You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober
2: for us that second drink it's just the beginning isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's an appetizer exactly of course so there you are at 14 you know drinking rather too much as a as a young teenager what happened after that what kind of age did you leave home for example
0: so i drank all through high school i had a really fun high school like i won't lie i had a good time you know i didn't start off right away hitting my bottom and After I graduated, most of my friends ended up going off to college or university. And, you know, after that, they got into relationships. But I never wanted to stop the fun. I mean, I was always thinking, well, if I if I smarten up here and I go to school, I'm not going to be able to, you know, go to that next next weekend's house party. And I was the type of person that after New Year's Eve, I was already planning the next year's New Year's Eve because it always had to be better and better. And so, you know, that's what I looked forward to. That was my life. And it became the norm. And unfortunately, for me, my addiction runs much beyond alcoholism. And in my probably early to mid 20s, I had I was hanging out with a friend, actually, and we were after work. Um, She's like, Oh, I have to go pick up something. And so we ended up going and I had no idea what she was doing. And we went back to my place to go have some drinks. And she's like, hey, have you ever tried cocaine before? And I thought, no, you know, and but I wasn't afraid to put anything into my body. And that went along with pills and everything else. And so that's the first time I had gotten into harder drugs. And unfortunately, I learned that that could really allow me to drink even more. And so that became another addiction. And I ended up in places that looking back now just make me sick to my stomach because, you know, I looked at myself as a very classy person. You know, I was a classy alcoholic. I was the (laughs) life of the party, right? I mean, it just wouldn't be fun if I wasn't there. And now I was doing stuff where I'm in the middle of a crack house, you know, in an area I didn't know, trying to get high above and beyond my alcoholism. And This continued on for a few years. And then of course, I got into um, addiction of yo-yo dieting, because I was drinking about 5000 calories, every single weekend of alcohol. So when you're drinking that much, of course, your, you know, weight gain and my love for food didn't help either and fast food. Uh, because I really couldn't afford to eat healthy. But you know, that's when I started my addiction to yo yo dieting as well. And it was just, you know, 40 pounds down, 60 pounds up. And, you know, I got into some very terrible relationships, very codependent relationships, because I was always with other alcoholics or addicts. And that ended up in abuse. Um I ended up, you know, going into a deep depression. And I'd I'd always kind of suffered from depression throughout my addiction. But uh, I, you know, locked myself away after that. Uh, I was assaulted by one of my exes who was an addict. And I just sat and drank myself silly and used for two months straight before a friend of mine, actually, one of my best friends, she's my best friend today, but we were best friends in high school. She kind of appeared. I ran into her in a bar the first night that I went out. And so that kind of started the transition to creating a better life. But of course, I had to learn for probably about another 10 years before I actually smartened up. But I just, I did what society told me to do. I got married. You know, I bought a a condo, I bought a car, and I really didn't see myself. As an alcoholic, because I had grown so accustomed to the life I was living, I truly thought that was the norm.
2: Yeah, well, alcohol has been so normalised, hasn't it, by mm-hmm. society? You're you're the strange one if you don't drink. Exactly. So how, how much were sorry? How much were you drinking in those days when you you had your car and your condo and your job and everything was your husband and everything was normal? How much were you managing to put away as a functioning alcoholic?
0: Well, it would usually be at least like during a weeknight, it would be anywhere from six to 12 beer. And usually we'd end up dipping into the vodka. And, you know, my ex-husband now, but we would, you know, as soon as we got home from work, we would crack a drink. And he was not... He was a great guy, but he was much friendlier when we were drunk, and so we loved each other when we drank, and that was the first thing we do. We cracked open the vodka, and I would usually grab a beer, and on the weekends, it would be anywhere from usually you know, a a case of beer, so 12 beers, and then we would start in on the vodka, and usually by then, I was already in blackouts, so I wouldn't remember, but you know, it was, I I would guess, probably about 10,000 calories in alcohol every week, which was crazy, but wow. it was the normal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow. So when did you,
0: so you're saying when your friend
2: came around that, that evening, did she say to you, um, Tamar, you've got to get your act together? Well, she didn't you, know. why. <laughs> So, so but somebody said something to you, what started the process that then it took another 10 years for you to actually make it?
0: So when we bumped into each other, I had always respected her. Um, she, I've seen her drink maybe a handful of times since we were in our teens. And so I'd always had a very high respect for her. And because we had grown apart for a few years during, I, I'd say the depth of my drug addiction years, um, having her back in my life and running into her was kind of like, Oh, okay. You know what? I know that I can't be that person around her because she would never accept me as that. And so I hid a lot of the drug addiction from her, but I actually got clean um, off of hard drugs for about eight years after that event. Um, because a few weeks later I'd had a really bad bender one weekend and we had plans to hang out and, you know, I just, I remember being tired and not being able to be fully present. And, you know, she was such an important person to my life that I thought, okay, I got to clean up a part of my life. And I since I never thought I was an alcoholic at the time, that was something that never stopped. But she knew me as the person, you know, the life of the party and stuff like that. So, that was kind of the beginning of at least giving up that part of my life. And, and I managed to keep that until pretty much the very end when I, I decided to quit drinking as well. But um, just having those people in my life that were supportive back then, even though that's not what got me to quit, I, I truly believe that people are put in your, re- uh, your life for a reason. And I could choose to either recognize that or not. And so I recognized it to a small degree at the time.
2: Yeah, you get little glimmers, don't you? I mean, it's like your conscious mind is saying, you've got to make a change, but your subconscious is saying, I've got a party. <laughs> exactly. So um, you, you were in your 30s, really, when you finally made a change, were you, or a little bit older?
0: I was. I was 36. Um, I remember I was uh, 215 pounds. I had gained a lot of weight back. That was the heaviest I had ever weighed. Um, I was very unhappily married. This is 2000 end of 2011. And I was severely depressed. Like I just it was hard to wake up every day. Um, We were financially bankrupt. I think we were in the hole about $75,000 just on credit card bills alone. And I just didn't want to live. I remember sitting on my my kitchen floor with a bottle of pills. And I I'm so grateful I had a dog. I had a little pug and he was sitting beside me that day. And I just wanted to end it all because I'm like, I'm constantly hurting people. I mean, you know, when you black out, you don't remember what you do. And then the next morning you're just thinking, oh my God, who do I have to apologize to today? And what have I done? And I was getting really tired of living that life. And so I remember looking down at my dog, and they kind of do that little head tilt, and he looked up at me, and it was almost like he's like, what are you doing, Mom? Like, what's going on here? Why are you sitting here crying? And something inside me at that very moment gave me the desire to change. Like, I just thought, okay, I can't do this. I need to try. And that was the real pivoting point in my life.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com.
0: So you knew that you had to make a change. How did you do it? So that first, the beginning of 2012, actually, I was, I still did not want to recognize that I hadn't issue with alcoholism and so i thought well you know what i'm overweight i'm unhealthy that's my problem and so i started off the new year by making the new year's resolution and i got my gym membership because i was truly convinced that if i changed the way i looked on the outside and i it would change the way i felt on the inside because i thought well i'm not attractive i'm not beautiful if i was you know, if I looked better, I was thinner then people would like me more. And I would just be more confident, right? So that's why I started on thinking right away, okay, it's fitness. Well, after the first month, I felt a little bit lost. And I saw a a personal trainer at the gym that I went to. And so I thought, okay, I need to ask for help, because I don't want to do this alone. I knew that I had to be part of something. And so I asked her to be my personal trainer. And And we were sitting down for our um, introductory meeting where she we talked about goals and stuff. And she said, you know, first of all, we realized we knew each other. We went to high school together. We were in gymnastics and which I was terrible at, by the way. So we had a good little laugh about that. Um, But then she said, you know, what's your goal? What do you want to achieve? And I said, well, I want to be able to fit into a bikini and I want to go to Las Vegas and I want to go to a pool party. Because for me, that that was like the ultimate party right, is being thin, being in Las Vegas. And she kind of laughed at me a little bit. And she said, okay. And so for the next, um, it was about five months, I went all in to this workout routine. You know, I had chicken, broccoli and rice every single day, I would allow myself that one epic, you know, treat meal on the weekends and stuff. And I followed everything to a T, because that's what I do. I'm an all in mentality kind of person, right? Just like I was with my drinking. But the one thing that was getting in the way was the drinking because I'm like, okay, I've gone a little bit of time by not drinking as much. And I thought I have to come up with something because I really wanted to lose the weight. And I really believe that was my problem. And so I decided that I would drink three beers per night and I would just, we would go out. So I would bring three beers with me per night. And that's very difficult to stick because like we you know talked about earlier, that's kind of just the appetizer. And I would make my husband take me home, which wasn't always easy. And I would um, drink a half a bottle of NyQuil so that I could pass out. And I was really proud when I was sending my trainer my food journal that I had only had nine beers that weekend, you know, and that was a big feat for me. And I was thinking, yes, I'm pretty awesome here. Like I went from having 18 beers in one night to three beers (laughs) in one day, (laughs)
2: And what did she think about it? Did she think it was awesome?
0: She laughed. um, And I would soon find out why, because she actually was the person who would eventually lead me into recovery. Because I remember, you know, as I was losing weight, I was feeling more confident, upbeat. And I was really thinking, okay, my life is really going to change here. And it, it was. But we went, we decided to go bungee jumping and I'm terrified of heights. And on the way there, because it was a couple hour drive, she had said, you know, hey, by the way, if you ever need, you know, um, help with your drinking, I can help. And I was like, oh, I don't need this. Like, I don't have a problem. I'm drinking nine beers per weekend. Like, (laughs) there's no problem here. But she knew because of the way I talked about alcohol, I would always focus on, how proud i was that i didn't drink as much as i did and you soon come to realize that you know if you have a problem with alcohol um you kind of want to always justify that you're you don't have a problem right if you don't have a problem with it you don't even talk about it and i okay. couldn't like exactly. i would quit for a month and i would want to you know i would do bets i would want to shout it from the rooftops and tell everybody i quit for a month well <laughs> people don't talk about it right so that was actually how I ended up in recovery, because I had one really bad last bender weekend, when my husband and I went away. And of course, I thought, I'm going to have one bottle of wine, I'm going to bring one bottle with me, because I've got this thing under control. And when we got there, I had drank that bottle of wine um, in probably about half an hour, because you know, it's only four small glasses. And I ended up drinking a case of beer. We ran a $200 bar tab and I barely remember the rest of the weekend. And I just remember reaching out to my trainer and saying, okay, I think I need help.
2: Right. So a bit of a rock bottom there, really. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It was interesting to hear you use that word control because um, I think I believe that once our drinkings crossed a line, we can't control it. And a lot of people um, talk about moderating, don't they? And because uh, wh- when I wanted to stop, I thought no, well, I didn't want to stop. When I knew I had to make a change, I thought I can't bear the thought of stopping drinking altogether but i can control it and like, i can see you're a strong person i am too and i thought surely i can control my drinking how hard can it be but it's impossible once you've got to a certain stage and it's so much easier just to ditch the stuff and then you know you have to to work at it a few months and then, and then it's done but this moderation business it just doesn't work for us once we've uh, once we've got to a certain stage so it sounds Tamar, like you did have a bit of a rock bottom. Um, what What's your thoughts on rock bottoms? Do you think uh, that people shouldn't worry about their drinking until they're having blackouts and and terrible incidents
0: or or do you think
2: people should be more aware?
0: Well definitely be more aware I mean you know I don't I don't look back today and go man you know what if I had quit drinking 20 years before and recognized the signs I think I had been given a lot of signs along the way but I think someone like me that was not a heavy drinker um, I truly believe that I was an alcoholic and once I started I couldn't stop that I needed to hit that rock bottom because for myself, it was as though when things were okay and I was having fun and there was the occasional blackout with no consequences, that almost made me justify my drinking that wow, I just had a good weekend. Right. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that. But when it starts to really control your life, and for me, I slipped into depression really badly. I wanted to end my life several times. Then I I really for I needed to hit a rock bottom by going, okay my life is really out of control. Like I'm $75,000 in debt and I think that's okay. And I'm spending the last $20 of my credit card on a bottle of vodka so I can get through till payday. Like I think for some people though, unfortunately they have to hit a bottom like I did for them to see that it's a problem. But I definitely recommend, uh, you know, hitting that realization much before that point.
2: Exactly, trying to get off the slippery slope before before you get to that stage. Yeah. Well, I, do, I don't know if you talk about um, low risk limits in America, but uh, well, in in Europe, and I talk about it here, they uh, they say that drinking more than a bottle and a half of wine a week uh, can you know can harm your health. So I always say to people, if if you uh, can't keep your drinking below that level then really you should probably ditch the stuff. I mean, for someone like me, I look. I think about a bottle and a half of wine a week and I think, well, why would I bother? You know, it was putting away more than that in an evening. I mean, it's, it's just not worth the bother, is it? Just ditch the stuff and, and make it easy for yourself. So when you went back to your trainer and said I need help, uh did she uh hit, link you up with AA or
0: where where did you go? Yeah, I some help? I decided I needed that support. Um so the 12 steps really worked for me because it allowed me to first of all find my higher power. Um I'm not I would say I'm I'm not a religious person, I'm more of a spiritual person, so that aspect was difficult for me to grasp, but when it was put to me that, you know, it's just something bigger than you, because I say I was the general manager of the universe and I was trying to control my life as well as everybody else's. So it was very rewarding when I finally thought, okay, this is exhausting. Like I don't have to do this. Right. And, and really owning, um, my current life and cleaning up my past, but you know, I needed that support more than anything. I needed to be able to talk to somebody and and admit what I had done and what I was struggling, like the thoughts that I was having, because it is very common for alcoholics to have the same type of thinking and to be able to say that to someone and them go, oh, me too. I can totally relate it kind of brings you out of this, I'm the only one that's thinking this or feeling this way, because we can get down on ourselves incredibly quickly. So yeah, doing going into a program where I had that support, and just really owning that I had created this life that I was living, right, and I had the choice to change it. That's ultimately what, you know, kept me sober. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a huge relief when you meet um, other people on this path, because you stop thinking that you're a crazy person with a huge problem. You realize that, in fact, it's alcohol that's the bad guy here, and not you. You know, we we run workshops and people come along. Well, we do them on Zoom at the moment for obvious reasons, but people still cry on Zoom when they tell their story sometimes. And and you can tell that there's such a relief. Uh, it's palpable. You know, they for the first time ever, some of them are telling the, their story just to, about just how unhappy alcohol has been making them and mm-hmm. just how worried they are. Because often when they're with their friends and their family, they, they brush you under the carpet. You know, they pretend that everything's everything's fine. Yeah. So I think, you know, where, wherever you can go to find a group, it's absolutely essential. It's it's almost impossible to do this alone once your drinking's got to a certain stage. So well done, Tamal. How long have you been alcohol-free now?
1: You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober.
0: It has been almost eight and a half years now. And wow. yeah, it's incredible. I honestly, when I quit drinking, I was scared. Um, I remember thinking, oh my god, how am I ever gonna have fun again? And which is kind of entertaining now that I look back at it because My nights might have started off as fun, but they never ended that way. And especially towards the end. And I'm like, I I must be insane to think that I'm going to miss this lifestyle. And I haven't, you know, it's just now not drinking is normal to me. And going out with people for dinner and them not ordering a beverage. I mean, if they drink a glass of wine and they leave the bottom, I'm kind of looking at them like, really, you're going to waste that? But it's it's quite normal, actually, not to drink when you go out now. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: And um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you
2: so much. I'm only in my sixth year of sobriety, a bit behind you. Uh, But I think, uh, I think we gain so much more than we lose. You know, what keeps us trapped in drinking is the fear, isn't it, that we're going to lose, you know, our life, you know, we'll lose our friends, we'll lose our social life, how will we relax, we have all these fears. And then you have to work through all of those and you come out the other side and you realize you've gained a whole different life. I mean, I was quite mature when I finally made this change, but I feel like I've been given a a second chance at life. You know, it is it's you're given a new life and it's uh, it's totally awesome. I wanted to ask you, Tamar, I've gathered from um, your podcasts that, and I think it's in your book as well, that you're, like me, you're a great fan of the power of mindset. Talk to us about mindset.
0: Well, after my first year of getting sober, it was almost, so I had lost 75 pounds that year, gotten sober, and, you know, my marriage fell apart, but for the first time, even though I had lost everything, I felt alive, I felt like I had kind of a clean slate. But, you know, in 2013, I almost felt as though I graduated, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm here, I've gotten sober, I'm single, I'm feeling good, my life is together, I've lost 75 pounds. And I got very complacent over the next five, six years. And After a while, I remember going to a friend of mine and I'm like, man, I can't seem to get motivated anymore. I gained a little bit of that weight back. And I really started to, because I had, I had really cleaned up my past, right. And I continued to work on myself. But the one thing that I wasn't ever doing was working on my mindset and more of a future based mindset. So that was the big part of the equation that was missing because I always felt like I had a bigger purpose, but up until early 2019, I kind of thought, oh, you know, I'm going to be stuck working the Monday to Friday job for the rest of my life, looking forward to Fridays. And I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to go to bed on a Sunday night and be riddled with anxiety because I had to work, you know, or be disappointed in it. So I knew something had to change. And I actually started to listen to podcasts. I I did not know (laughs) what a podcast was, in early 2019 my friend had actually suggested i try to listen to them and that was when i actually found our mutual friend adam shibley is because for me again it was about health and fitness and you know kind of gaining control over um my health and my weight because i had started to gain weight again and i connected with his group um really enjoyed that i was focused on weight loss but then i thought okay Um, it's time to create a vision for myself. And I actually remember going, I went to one of his events, September of that same year. And I was surrounded by a bunch of people in the health and wellness industry, other podcasters. And for the first time, you know, I was sitting across the table with um, one of my mentors, Allison Melody from Food Heals. And she's like, Tamar, you're not you're not drinking any wine. Like what's going on? What's your story? And I said, Well, I don't drink anymore. And I, you know, I'm trying to reclaim control over my health. And she's like, why don't you start a podcast? And she goes, you know, you have a voice, you have a story, you need to share your journey. And right then I gained that belief that, okay, maybe I was meant for more. And so I started to figure out what do I actually want for my future, and I, you know, I I teach this with the coaching I do now, um, which was amazing in itself because I never looked at myself as someone who would be coaching other people. But somebody's like, Tamara, you have twenty years of addiction experience to pretty much every addiction that there is, and <laughs> you know, I've developed and I focus on developing your vision for your life you know because i thought okay i'm i'm doing all these goals that society tells me to do right lose weight stay healthy get lots of sleep but what do i actually want to do and so i started that discovery into okay what do i love you know what am i good at what do people come to advice for me for and it completely shifted my mindset and all of a sudden it was like okay I want to help others for a reason. I've developed my purpose now, and I've just been so driven ever since then that everything that I do aligns with that vision of wanting to empower other people to live up to their true potential because I never thought I could. I always had those negative self talk, like, who are you to teach other people about mindset? And who are you to be a life coach or anything like that? But who am I not? I mean, you know, I'm sure you can relate, you know, you have a gift, right? You've been through something that a lot of other people are going through and not a lot of people know how to get out of it. And so for me, you know, getting sober was the first part of my journey, but then really shifting into how do I now create a life that I could have never imagined. And Honestly, I go to bed very early in the evening, um, much later than or much earlier than it is where you are right now. But I love going to bed because I'm so excited to get up and I wake up at 4am in the morning and I do that now without hesitation, because of the mindset that I've developed and I finally feel like I have a purpose and a passion in life.
2: Oh, that's beautiful, Tamar. Yeah, I think, um, you remember when we used to, you know, drink all the time because we wanted those highs, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And But it's all chemical highs. And as we know, there's a massive price, you know, the hangovers, the coming down, the depression, etc. But if you can finally get out of that trap, and then create a life you don't want to escape from and, and get in touch with your purpose, you know, I think we're both... Um, so full of energy because we we've tapped into our purpose and our values, you know, everything's aligned now. So um it's it's just amazing. And I think magic happens when you stop drinking for so many people. I mean, I've I've got a a friend who's a famous author, she's called Claire Pooley. I don't know if you've read her book, it's called The Sober Diaries. Mm -hmm. Get it on your Kindle, you'll you'll really enjoy it. And um, she, when she was a little girl, she always wanted to be an author, and you know that was her dream. She was always writing stories. She was very good at school at English, and then uh, she became an advertising executive. Had, did the corporate stuff, you know, for a couple of decades. Then she got married, had three children, and then in the end, she couldn't juggle the work and the children anymore. So. Um, she decided to stay, become a stay-at-home mom, you know, and then she uh, started putting on loads of weight and she was drinking a bottle of wine every evening and, you know, she got into the trap that we've been in. But anyway, she managed to to get out of that. And since she's given up drinking, she uh, she wrote this book, The Sober Diaries. It's a bit like Bridget Jones' diary, you know, the way it's written. It's very funny. It's very clever. So she wrote that book. It was a blog to start with. But some publisher read the blog and could see her talent for writing. And they said, OK, make this into a book and we'll publish it. So she did. And they did. And it's a huge bestseller. And what's, what's really beautiful is she did that. And then uh, she got a book deal to write another three novels that are globally published now. So she's, you know, becoming a really good well-known author so her dream her little girl's dream it's it's coming true mm-hmm. you know finally like in her 40s because she she ditched the drink and then she found you know her dream on the other side so and you you've talked about depression tomorrow I just wanted to mention that I also felt depressed in, in early sobriety actually because uh, I, was, I think I was going through a bit of um Oh, right. What, what's going on here? Have I lost more than I've gained? You know, you, you get this fear of missing out stuff a little bit. You just feel flat because the, the your natural dopamine receptors aren't working yet. You know, it takes months for them to come back and you've lost your your chemical highs. So there's definitely a period of flatness. But I just say to people, you know, if if that happens to you, just push through, you know, do it one day at a time, get through it, because that actually is where the magic happens, because it's a kind of emptiness. It's like a void. And in fact, I was in that void when I had this idea to start World Without Wine, you know, people. And that's when Claire Pooley must have thought, you know, I'm going to write another book. So people, the magic happens in that void. So I'd just like to say to anyone that's listening, if you're in early sobriety, by which I mean, I suppose about four or five months for most people, because the pink clouds kind of long gone. Yeah. <laughs> and you haven't quite settled into your alcohol free life. You're not thriving in it yet, as you will. But you have to push through that bit. So we've talked about Claire Pooley's book. Let's talk about your book. H- how did that come about? I've read it. I enjoyed it very much. It's almost a kind of manual as well to help people, isn't it? Talk, talk to talk to us about your book,
0: Hope Elevated, yes? Yes. And um, <clears throat> I can tell you that publishing, self-publishing, my very own book was a dream come true, and um, you know, it was probably the biggest high that I've ever had in my life, you know, and I've had a lot of them. But um, I mean, I remember in high school, I was not very good in school, because I didn't apply myself, not because I wasn't smart enough to, but I remember my English teacher putting my final exam on my desk and saying, "Tomorrow, if you fail this exam, and you're in my class next year, again, I will make your life a living hell. And so I had always had that You know, limiting belief that I wasn't good at English and I wasn't a good writer. And I actually started blogging um, very early on in my sobriety about you know how my life was starting to transform. And I gave that up, but I'd always kind of had this passion for writing. And then, of course, when COVID hit, um, I had had a few people in the entrepreneur space say, "Tamara, why don't you write your story?" Like, you know, and. I guess I looked at it like I didn't have a significant story because I hadn't gotten homeless, right? I mean, I think there's this perception of in order to be a true alcoholic or addict that you have to live, you have to be homeless, you have to live under a bridge and drink alcohol in a brown paper bag. And that wasn't me. I was a much more classy alcoholic, right? (laughs) And so I honestly, even when I got sober, I I remember sharing and I'd be like, well, I don't want to share my story because I can't relate to being homeless. Like I had lost everything and I think I had hit a pretty substantial bottom, but my bottom was when I decided to stop digging and when people started to go, listen, you know, there's probably more people that can relate to your journey through addiction Than someone who was homeless, somebody who went through a recovery house or, you know, treatment. And I never thought about that. And so I'm like, okay, and I decided to join a course, um, like a support network, which was a 14 day to launching your bestseller. So I learned how to do it, I learned how to write. And I just started sharing, writing out my story. And I wanted it to, the purpose of writing Hope Elevated was to inspire other people to get vulnerable and share their experience and share their journey because I had to go to my um, therapist several times through writing the book because a lot of stuff came up that I had completely blocked out or forgotten. And so I was, it was very therapeutic to write that book. But like I said, the day I I wrote it in six weeks um, because I was at home, I wasn't traveling and I published it July 14th on Amazon. And it actually that first day, it became uh, a bestseller on Amazon, and I hit 52 ranking overall. And I remember seeing that and just crying, because I think that's really what shattered those limiting beliefs that I wasn't truly capable of something more. And It was so like, I can talk about my past now, all of the things that I discussed, the abuse, everything, and it doesn't get that twinge of, you know, sadness or I want to cry because I've now been so vulnerable and open about it. But I think just being able to do something like that and have it happen in the way it did. I still, like, I feel emotional when I talk about it because it is truly one of the best highs I've ever experienced in my life. And I just, I really want it to help other people give them the belief that they can change.
1: Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, Just drop us an email at Janet at Tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at Tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation.
2: Yeah, so what a win writing a book like that, because it was like therapy for you. It was cathartic, and it's going to help other people, and it's a bestseller. I mean, wow. And you wrote it in... 16 weeks or something? Six, six weeks. <laughs> six weeks. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's super impressive. How many hours a day did you work on it? At least two. I like I said, I still have that all-in mentality. I I right now yeah. you were talking about comfort zone earlier. And I almost it's comfortable for me now to be uncomfortable. If I'm not uncomfortable. I don't feel like I'm growing. And so I'm almost it's just this, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all in. And so yeah, I put every every ounce of passion and heart that I had into getting that book done when I said I was going to get it done. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, yes. As, as drinkers, we do tend to be all or nothing people, aren't we? That that's why we can't moderate. <laughs> we either we drink nothing or we drink, you know, the the bar dry. Mm-hmm. There's no in-between for us. And it's interesting, again, about the the stereotype of the alcoholic that you mentioned, because I believe these days that there's a spectrum of drinking. You know, on one end, you've got the person that never drinks. On the other, you've got your your guy in his, with his bottle in his brown paper bag, the homeless one. But in between those two, there's millions and millions of people like us. And that's why I think, you know, we almost have a responsibility to be vulnerable and share our stories because people will relate and they'll think, oh, right. Yeah. Well, I drink like she used to drink and she got clean and sorted her life out so I can do it. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, well done for that book. Wow. So people can get that book on
0: Kindle wherever they are in the world. and is, Is it come out in a print copy as well it is in print now um so you can get that on amazon you can download it from anywhere um just you know google if it it doesn't come up just look up my name tamar medford or hope elevated
2: right okay
0: i love the name as well
2: um and then your podcast which is called the road to health isn't it and that's uh tell us uh the, the context for that
0: So I started that December because like I mentioned, I was traveling for work a lot and I wanted to share my journey about how I was going to go get healthy and I wanted to do it in a very vulnerable way. And because I, you know, I have also addiction to food and I still struggle with that today. So the whole purpose of the podcast was just to go, okay, here's some things I'm trying. You know, I have a, a health coach now and I'm experimenting with things that actually work for me. And that's something that I really, I had to to develop a better relationship with food, which I'm still developing. But that was the initial reason I started The Road to Health, because I wanted to inspire others to take a chance in that healthy transformation regarding, you know, anything from addiction to food, all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting, when COVID hit, obviously, I stopped traveling. And so I pivoted a little bit. And then it came to because I I wrote the book and I started to become empowered, like, what more can I do? What more can I do? And I finally saw that vision. So now I, I really, I share my journey. Um, I share my struggles. So what I'm going through regularly, but I also love to have guests on that have overcome adversity of any type and now are really developing their mindset and what they did to change their lives. Because I think it's important to get that message out there so that everyone can relate. And it's just, it's so fun because as you know, we get to meet amazing people like yourself. And it's just it's such a cool journey when you get to, you know, be on a platform like this and talk to amazing people from all around the world that are trying to make this world a better place.
2: If someone's listening to this podcast, and they they know that they've got to change their drinking, but they they can't quite make that decision. Can you think of anything to say to them to encourage them that it's worth it? Because it's not easy. We both know it's not easy. It takes a, a good few months of hard work.
0: But what's on the other side? Oh, so much. I, you know, I when I meet somebody who's new and interested in sobriety, first of all, you know, I always ask them, do you want this? Like, and I get them to see how their life is unmanageable, essentially, you know, so they kind of open their eyes to the pot- like potential that they have a problem at least. But it's once you start to get sober, and you realize that you don't actually need, you know, alcohol to mask your pain, to fuel your fun. Um, it's amazing how you learn to embrace life, you know, you, you, you start to see the world in a different light. You know, you start to everything, all your conversations become real, your friendships become real. And that was something that I struggled with, right? When I got sober, I was like, like you said, I'm gonna lose all my friends now. But the people you start to meet and attract into your life by taking that step and becoming sober, it's so incredible. And I always like to say to, you know, my worst day in recovery or sobriety is way better than my best day when I was active, you know, and it took a lot to say that. But it's just once you realize that you're so much more capable than you think you are, it's amazing. It's like, you can't stop that feeling. And you can't, you know, you keep hunting for what's the next thing that I can do or accomplish or achieve. It's great.
2: So there you heard me talking to Tamar Medford, who is using her life experience to inspire others. She's got a lovely way of phrasing things. So let me pick on two quotes from that interview. I loved it when she said, my rock bottom came when I stopped digging. I think that just emphasizes that we don't have to wait until things get really bad before we make a change. I always told myself that I would never drink so much that I would have to give up permanently. But in fact, that's exactly what did happen, because I simply let things go too far. With hindsight, when I was having those kind of thoughts, I should have stopped digging, because the warning signs were already there, and it would have been so much easier to stop before my dependence got even more entrenched. If you're drinking more than a bottle and a half of wine a week, drinking every day, or using alcohol to cope with stress, then that may well be your cue to stop digging. And if you can't stop digging on your own, then make sure you join a community that can help. Whether that's Tribe Sober or AA, you need other people. The other quote from Tamar that I loved was, If I'm not uncomfortable, then I'm not growing a reminder that we should always be pushing out from our comfort zone. When we've been using alcohol to numb discomfort for years, it takes a bit of practice to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. But in fact, that's the secret to our personal growth. And one of the most inspiring things that we see here at Tribe Sober is that we see our members exploring all sorts of new interests when they get sober. They've got time and energy, maybe for the first time in years, and they're pushing out from their comfort zone and discovering all sorts of hidden talents. The trouble with sobriety is that we're led to believe that it's a dark, miserable and boring place. And in fact, I think that's what keeps so many of us trapped in our drinking for years. We see sobriety as giving up something valuable and embarking on a lifetime struggle to stay away from the booze. And indeed, when Tamar first gave up drinking, she worried that she would never have fun again. But when she really analysed all of those fun nights, well, yes, they certainly started off as fun, but somehow they never ended well. And eight years into her sobriety, she feels that she's gained so much more than she's lost. Sobriety brings us more energy, more creativity, better skin, better health and less anxiety. Admittedly we do lose hangovers, blackouts, excess weight, health problems and dehydration but surely no one is sorry to see those go. We also chatted about mindset and how important it is if we are going to make real changes. Tamar never imagined she could be a coach but a friend convinced her that her life experience can help others. So she created a vision for herself and her personal vision is to empower others to live up to their potential and everything that she does aligns with this vision and we agreed that if we can just tap into our purpose and values then we can find true happiness. To connect with Tamar, have a listen to her podcast. It's called The Road to Health. She's also written a best selling book called Hope Elevated, and her website is theroadforward.ca. I'm putting all of that in the show notes, so please check it out. She's quite an inspirational lady. So thanks for listening. Please subscribe and share, and I'll see you next week.
1: Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.